All right, Pat, back today for a fun part two in our year in review series. Last week in part one, we went all the way through the podcast, did a name that pod segment. We gave each other three quotes from all the different episodes last year, and we did pretty good. We basically went six for six. I kind of tricked you on the last one. So. <laughs> Yeah, I thought I was being the mean guy, but it ended up it was you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we did pretty decently. Those that maybe missed it can go back. And it was a fun podcast wrapping up the year that was and some of our favorite quotes and episodes and things like that. Today, in part two of our year in review series, we're going to have a little bit of fun and go through all of the content that we did ourselves, others throughout the year for SG Plus or for social media, whatever it was. And Basically, our favorite, most interesting concepts or ideas. And we thought we'd have some more fun and start subsit each other and go through our favorite segment on the podcast, but kind of quiz each other here. And we've gone through all the content on SGTV and have picked out for me, I've got three offensive ones for you. I'm going to start subsit those for you. And then for you, you've got three defensive ones for me, obviously my favorite defense. And so that's what today's show will be. And we're going to have some fun with it. Yeah, no, it should be a good time. And then obviously getting the chance to talk a little basketball tactics strategy on top of that. Absolutely. And so today's content for those that are not members of SG Plus, we've got, I think it's over 700 videos right now on there. That's deep dives like we're about to mention, but also other smaller videos as well. Clinics, roundtable sessions, all of those things that are part of SG+. And so we've narrowed it down to three, though, for each other in our favorite kind of concepts. And we'll talk about why, I guess, when we get to our answers. And so we appreciate those that are members, those that are not. You can certainly go to slappingglass.com for more information or reach out at info at slappingglass.com. But I'll stop the infomercial right there because I want to get right to the show and the content. And so I believe you would like to go first and ask me. Is that correct? Yes, I'll do the honors. For those listening for the first time, I'm going to give you three topics here with mine having to do with defensive, and you're basically going to rank them one, two, three, or start, sub, or sit with start being your favorite. Okay. I think I got it. We'll walk you through if you got any hiccups along the way. (laughs) So looking at the defensive side of the ball, I'm going to give you three pick and roll defenses that we had the pleasure at looking at, and I'm going to frame it in the sense that what would be your favorite coverage to run based on the quality of your team? So you could put the perfect team together to run this defensive system. Can I stop you real fast, Pat? Yeah. Yeah. I just got nervous. I understand (laughs) when coaches say they're nervous and you're not knowing what's coming, but yeah, hit me with it. It can't be any worse than our name that pod segment. So I think you're going to do good. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right. I'll get right to it. So start, sub or sit, the pick and roll coverage that you would most likely install with your team? Is it option one? We looked at Cito Alonso's, we called it spy coverage. Option two, the hedge and plug defense that we looked at with Coach Asalo. Or option three, I fudged it a little bit, the quick show coverage. And this year we specifically looked at Ben Lammers with Alba Berlin and his ability to quick show and recover back to the rim. So start, sub, or sit. Cito Alonso's spy coverage in the pick and roll, the hedge and plug coverage, or the quick show? Oh, man, that's fun. That's a fun question. Well, obviously, all three of those are great. And I'll just get out of the way now. It depends, sure, on my team. I'm going to start, I'll go with the sit of those 
first as I buy myself time to decide my top one. I'm going to sit the quick show All right. for right now, and I'll explain why in a second. But the other two, I'm having a hard time because I love them both. Just to explain, the spy is basically denying everything, and then the on-ball screen, you're chasing over, and the big is in a deep drop, correct? Correct. And then the hedge and plug is a hard hedge, one, two-step hedge. And then that guard, instead of chasing, is just one man zoning and plugging to take away that short roll. That's Coach Asala's plug. Just for those not familiar, boy, that's really tough. I'm going to start the hedge and plug narrowly. It's a game time decision. Yeah, I'm going to sub Cito Alonzo's spy coverage. And that's really close for me. Great things about both of those. The hedge and plug, what I think is interesting about it is its uniqueness. I think that the spy coverage is highly effective and really takes guards and bigs out of their offense. But I think teams play against a deep drop more often than they play against this hedge and plug. And so to paint the picture, you know, a middle third on-ball screen, that big is flying out and hard hedging. So that guard coming off the on-ball cannot use it coming off the on-ball. And then that guard, instead of chasing, like a lot of times they'll chase, they just drop back into that one-man zone and take away the short roll. And it's also really good at taking away the pop if there is a, a big that pops. And so I like it because it's really unique and it's a different read for the guard to make coming off that screen than your normal quick show or the drop or ice or whatever it is as they get higher level. Like those guards are really good. So I just think the uniqueness of it is good. I think it allows you to be aggressive and also cover the middle and the short roll, which is a nice way to be aggressive on the ball and take away what can be a problem in being aggressive, which is the short roll or the pop, and then you're playing four on three. So that's my answer. I'll follow up here with the question, but just to build off your point, I think with this hedge and plug, it's a trend we're seeing all throughout Europe with teams kind of going to it. We talked with recently with Marco Barach, and he talked about it too. You hit on it with the threat of the short roll and how it causes so much problems with if you just kind of look at your traditional hedge where you're hedging out and the guards chasing over and then it opens up, you know, I think teams got so good at hitting that short roll corner cutting, drifting the 45 that I thought this was a really unique way and a natural evolution as you kind of just look at, okay, what's the biggest threat to a hedge? Is it the throw ahead pass or the throw behind pass? Maybe not necessarily. It's more so that high post. And so, like you said, just sending that guard to flood that high post forcing longer rolls to the rim where the help is and then just being ready to x out or fly out and run guys off lines it was fun to study fun to put together and even more so fun is now several teams are beginning to apply this coverage and i know you and me are both looking at just the ways to plug we talked about a little bit with marco barach that got me interested in is it a quick roll is it a pop is the guy sticking the screen and how that affects how that guard plugs the coverage is something that we've started looking at more and more as we continue to build out this coverage. That's my two cents there. I want to get back to your answers, Dan. And you hit on it a little bit, I'm assuming with the hedge and plug, but with your quick show, maybe starting with your sit, why sit there? It seemed to be pretty clear that was going to be your sit. Some of this is just personally trying to teach the spy and the hedge and plug on just whether it's our own team or working with other teams. I've seen how disruptive it can be for those two. And I think just the familiarity with high-level guards of the quick show. Yeah, It depends on who you're playing, obviously, but really good guards, if you quick show, are smart enough to basically keep that dribble and then maybe still attack that big's hip 
or pull it back and still be aggressive or they can read if you're late at all and you're trying to quick show they can fire that thing off on like a stampede pass ahead i think it's less disruptive potentially potentially for some higher level guards i guess and i think just of the three it's the most common it's just seen it does leave you open to a pop or short roll where the other two are kind of taking that away I think the other two, the reason I started and subbed them is the hedge and plug and the spy where you're hard denial and it's basically a deep drop. It's keeping the pick and roll two on two. I think the hedge, the quick show, potentially you've got to involve more of the other three players if you're hedging and trying to chase back and you can, you know, if a guy pops or short rolls, you're having to play more with those other three backline defenders potentially. And where the other two, I like that it's supposed to be two on two the hedge and plug is supposed to not have to involve people rotating same thing with the spy so that's why i sat it that doesn't mean we don't use it and i don't like it but those are the choices you gave me so there you go i believe we had coach schiller on for an inside the set and he talked about telling his guards that a quick show to treat like a drop coverage and just kind of wait till the big goes and attack and get downhill Mm -hmm. i think to build off of your point with the quick show it is I think heavily dependent on the abilities of your big man. I mean, sure. I think more so than the other two, let's say. Obviously, of course, he has to be mobile, but not only that, I think they have to have a good understanding of like your guard's ability or inability to get through screens, how that determines your quick show and not just blindly always quick showing in terms of if you can read, is your guard through how, you know, stuck is he in the screen and determining basically your level. Maybe sometimes you don't quick show and maybe it's like a flat show, but you get back. I think that plays heavily into the quick show, just like the overall how smart your big is at reading the two-on-two and and your teammate in the pick and roll. I think it's a real art form recovering back, protecting the rim without one, being able to do it, and then two, without really fouling, your big's going to be on the move. And I think you have to work a lot on the wall-ups and the vertical helps when you're going to try to play this coverage. Yeah, and obviously all this depends on who you're playing and the personnel. Yeah. Because when I think about these three coverages, I think a lot about the offensive team and or player in the ball screen. And are they a scorer? Are they a passer? You know, how well does the offensive team pass out of the pick and roll? Or are they just really heavily dependent on that guard coming off and scoring or trying to throw the lob or isolating? And then in that case, you know, I think certain coverages are potentially better for that. I mean, obviously a, a quick show is always good. On a guard, you kind of don't want to get downhill and maybe is a reluctant passer, you know, so you're kind of forcing the ball out of their hands. I think that a team that moves the ball really well out of a ball screen, you know, whatever it is that they do, whether it's short roll and play through the extra, you know, the cut and the flares, all those things. I think a team that moves it and doesn't have a guard that really is a scorer, then, you know, like a spy or a drop, you see teams do that a lot where they're not going to put themselves in rotations to maybe give up open threes or lobs and they're going to kind of make that more passing guard have to score in a tight space and so you know of course that's dependent on the team and that you're playing and the guard you have i just go back to the start here to kind of close my thoughts on it, is that the hedge and plug is just a little more unique than things i think a lot of guards have seen because the most obvious next i guess pass or driving angle is not there they can't take it off the hedge because the big's showing out they can't just throw the short roll or they can't really throw the pop because, you know, when it's done correctly, the guard guarding the ball jumps off and zoning it and is right there. So it kind of forces you to 
for a split second not throw that short roll or that pop. And then when they do try to maybe start driving it, they're driving it to a guard that's just waiting at the high post or in the paint area and you're driving the traffic, I guess. So then it's just a different solution that the guards have to find that I like. And I think we've watched a lot of it. And I think it's interesting to see how maybe other teams start to do that more and more. I agree. I think they're used to yeah that guard chasing over and then they kind of clear the big and then there is no guard attached to them or they don't know where he is. And rather he's in that pass lane, that next driving lane and anything that then kind of buys a half second of time, as we know, I mean, crucial. Absolutely. As I delay my start subset, I got one more follow-up for you, which is part of why I wanted to choose a pick and roll coverage, because I know this year with your team, you guys are running that spy deep drop, try to blow everything up. So maybe, yeah, maybe (laughs) from time to time, maybe. Yeah. (laughs) But my last question here is, as you guys installed it and now have a couple games under your belt of running it, I mean, what are you maybe constantly reminding your guys, your bigs, where you're having success, where are you guys struggling just as you've gone through the season with it? It is a fun question because these are three different coverages as well as, you know, switching. You add that in there. These are four coverages that trying to figure out what works best for your team or your opponent. And so these are fun to talk through because it's definitely been subject to our conversations, what works best. So your question was about the spy, right? Yeah. And I think that, you know, if you watch the breakdown that we did and you try to implement it, I mean, it looks great on film. It is a demanding defense for your four guards because of the ball pressure you want of the kind of hopefully no middle stance, depending on where it is on the floor and then staying attached, you know, kind of forcing things down, trying to disrupt. Like I said, on film, it looks great, you know, running it for a full game or for most of the game, you know, it's physically demanding for your guards. But I do think the benefit is it can help maybe dictate a little bit of defensive pressure or gives your team a mentality, which we like where it's not soft. The defense is definitely a physically demanding defense. And then I think the big thing is working with the big on angles, where to help, when to help, when to try to block a shot versus just stunt and recover and not giving up open layups or lobs. That's the number one thing is not helping up, helping over. You know, those are the little teaching points as you teach it. And then I think too, player dependent on can that big pick and pop and shoot it at all and player dependent there. But I think that's something we're starting to talk a lot more about is if you're in that defense, you have to really know the player that you're sort of spying off of and how much you either don't give any help or, you know, have to short close out and play that. A quick thank you to our partners this year who have helped support the growth of the podcast and our entire Slapping Glass platform. Please sign up for our Sunday morning newsletter or visit slappingglass.com to learn more about Huddle, Beyond Sports Tours, and Just Play, and the quality products and services that they provide for coaches across the board. I've delayed long enough, Dan. Go ahead. (laughs) All right. Well, we'll move to the offensive side of the ball for you. And so I'm going to start subsit. These are three of my favorite deep dive breakdowns we've done for various reasons, but they all kind of have a similar theme here. All right. The theme is going to be spacing. Okay. And I'm going to give you three different interesting ones that we've done that have to do with spacing or playing out of that either in transition or the half court. So option one is Marquette's high slot spacing. Mm Mm-hmm where they've got that 
empty side ball screen quite a bit, and they've got the three players on the other side, and the one player closest to the two-man game is way high up in that slot, almost towards half court, or sometimes the other 45 is as well. So that's high slot spacing. Option two is Manresa's hunting stampedes transition offense, where they're flowing right into a high slot ball screen, but they're looking to not really use the ball screen all the time, but throw it ahead to that slot and attack downhill early in transition. And option three is the Utah Jazz's five-out transition flare option. All right. So for those maybe not familiar, Utah Jazz, we did a deep dive on their transition offense definitely last year. I know they're doing it this year as well a little bit where they will run the five-man to the high opposite slot and then start with a transition flare screen for the trailer and then play through their action. So start, subset those actions. I'm glad you chose spacing when I was thinking of all the ways you could hurt me with these start, subsets. <laughs> <laughs> you chose a good one. <laughs> Similar to you, I'll start with my sit, not because it's my least favorite, but I think the other two are kind of more compelling for me. So I'm going to sit the Utah Jazz's five-out pop flares. We hope Coach Hardy is not listening <laughs> yeah. in one of our top podcasts of the year. Yeah, yeah, I know. This isn't the podcast recap, so I think we're safe. Yeah, we would start him there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I want to start Manresa's stampede action. I mean, I'll, we'll get into it and I'll explain, but I really like that action. Coach Martinez is one of our favorites, and I think we find every season to do a breakdown on whatever he's doing with his team. Yeah. But I won't. I'll sub it and I'll start Marquette. Oh, only because I think that Marquette spacing bleeds into playing through the stampedes that Manresa would do. So I think they're interrelated. I'll credit Marquette for the spacing and then building off of that spacing to play the stampedes and yeah, use the pick and rolls as a decoy. So starting Marquette, subbing Manresa and then sitting Utah is my final answer. Credit to you. You haven't said it depends. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Before I ask any follow-ups related to your answer, I know watched a ton of film this year, talked to a lot of coaches. I guess any takeaways for you on spacing itself, just in general, how coaches think about it, use it, pick and roll, non-pick and roll, especially like as you're looking at higher levels, college, international, and above, because we've done so much on it this year. And just wonder any of your thoughts or takeaways. What's been interesting is it seems like a move towards simplicity in terms of I think when we started a couple of years ago or looking back, you know, we were so infatuated and they're still with like burn cuts, 45 cuts, you know, cut the corner, drift the 45, like all these involved actions to create space, to create double gaps. Last year with Marquette and Marmaressa, it was more so like just back up. Yeah. (laughs) It's simple. And now I think it's simple to me. You know, you tell your guys just to back up, they'll look at you a little crazy, like, well, I can't shoot it from here. And then it's, of course, the stampede teaching step into your shot. but. I think that's what stood out to me and why I was excited you chose spacing because I think it has been kind of a move towards simplicity. And then going back to, which was one of our previous breakdowns, but we talked about it too in your excellent clinic on creating closeouts. Thanks. And this ties into Manresa. Come set the pick and roll, but use it to put it in the shell. Now we have this great spacing. We're spread out wide and just that extra pass to the corner or the throw ahead pass and just stampede, like just go downhill at them. And that's what the benefit of this Marquette or even Manresa spacing was like, if you're just high in the slot, they have a decision. They're either going to follow you out. And so then now you're opening up the nail, which is what 
you know, we looked at in the past why people 45 cut, why they cut corner drift 45, but that can be complicated at times. So the timing has to be just right. And, you know, depending on your point guard, is he capable of making this read when there's so much going on in the paint? Well, if you just back up and they hug you or they follow out, or maybe they just take two steps up, well, now you've opened up the nail. And if they don't, if they sit at the nail, it's a clear, well, now just throw it ahead. And that's where we get into Ben Resta stuff, which I really like. It's impossible to guard. Go out to a court right now, stand there, like put your heels even on the three-point line and tell a guy to come at you full speed with the dribble. Good luck. And that's what I really appreciate and what we've looked at this year with spacing. That can tie into what the Jazz did. I mean, just a simple flare screen. You talk about like, they just come down with five out spacing and what everyone's taught. Okay, load up at the nail. And as Coach Hardy said, like, well, now we also put our big in the opposite slot. So that big's also dropped into the paint because they can't help themselves. Now we're just going to set a simple flare screen. We're just creating closeouts. That's what it's all about, creating closeouts and not being so dependent on Okay, let's get a ball screen, get this intricate movement, three guys moving around, trying to confuse the tag. You know, that's what, again, going back to men wrestle in our breakdown too, it's not only in transition. If the play gets blown up or they re-trigger, or let's say offense rebound, they kick it out, they get to their four-corner spacing. Again, the guy's high in the slot. They call for the re-screen. And as the bigs run up, they just throw it to the slot again. And that guy just, again, stampedes downhill. And I think it's just a super simple, clever way. Not everyone's going to have great point guards or, you know, where you just want to, yeah, let's just sit back and let this guy operate and we'll play off of him. It's like, no, okay, let's just get the big out of the paint, space it out wide and just attack that thing over and over and over. All three of these have been interesting in their own right to look at why they do it personnel and of course, you know, how they set those things up. But I agree with you about it's almost counterintuitive with backing up closer to half court with a lot of these things. But how beneficial it is in all these different ways. And I think the one interesting thing is I feel like more and more teams are spacing higher towards half court. And it's not just an east-west spacing of corners and 45s because the defense can still be in gaps and stunt and recover, but you bring those slots up higher. You bring the 45s way up higher. One, you're creating a longer closeout if they do decide to stunt and recover back. And it's really hard to stop a guy coming at you. But I think too, it adds an element of north-south versus east-west into your offense. So instead of those players attacking east and west, let's say from the wing over the top, when you bring them up higher like Marquette does, or even like Roman Resta catches it, they're coming north-south at you and just so much harder to guard. No middle, pack line, whatever it is, it's really hard. That guy coming at a vertical angle. And then I also think too, like some interesting other points that we've had like on the podcast, you know, Dusty May brought up an interesting point with their corner spacing, even thinking about, you know, we always say, hey, corner, 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 great spacing. And he said, hey, they kind of figured out having them deep in the corner actually was kind of hurting them because no middle defenses were there too deep in the corner where he wants them raised up a little bit more towards the break. So it's still great spacing. So that way that guy can attack from the corner, either baseline or over the top, all different ways to space a team based off of what you believe, but I picked all three of these and specifically Marquette and Manresa as well because of how they use the whole half court to create their offense. My last point, the guy high up in the slot, it's also nice too because if there's a situation where a drive takes place and they need almost like a safety to throw it back out to or they pick up the dribble or the offense didn't flow, they couldn't get downhill, oftentimes that guy is not being denied. So you can use it to throw back to that player And then 
flow right into another, say, high pick and roll. Or that player can flow right into, say, like a get action with someone coming back. And that one's also north-south. You see Marquette do that all the time where they don't have something over the top. They throw it to that player way up high. And now that player is playing downhill or they can flow up and, you know, into another pick and roll or handoff. So interesting stuff there. I have to ask, though, you kind of mentioned between your start and your sub with the Utah Jazz and your sit. Did you sit it because of it being, you think, harder maybe implement or just the nature of getting your five out is different than having a rim run? I mean, I guess we're kind of splitting hairs here, but really what was it to sit that one, I guess? And all honesty, it was because I just liked those other two spacings better. But I agree. And this is a conversation I think we had with Coach Hardy that the nature of maybe getting your guys to recognize transition flares, also the timing, you know, he talked a lot about he wants, I forget, you know, what did he want his point guard maybe at like 70%, 80% speed crossing the half courts. He can see the flare develop. He can give time for the flare to develop. Similar to, of course, the slot spacing, high slot spacing with, with anything, it just comes with rep. But yeah, getting the big, I mean, he mentioned getting the big in the slot or telling the big to push the guard into the middle. You know, I think everyone's been kind of taught with that middle rim, rim line is for your big, your four fives, and the wings are getting out wide filling corners so it wasn't a factor let's say that maybe that is any harder to teach than the you know high and wide spacing yeah because he mentioned on the podcast like you brought up and the reason i ask is he brought up that it is different for the big to run opposite the ball and it takes time for them to have to teach that because their bigs are so ingrained with either a drag or delay in the middle of the floor or rim run and he wants them to get out opposite which is just different and takes time Exactly. And the more I think about it now, again, I haven't worked on it enough at all in a gym, but I think that guard and his pace and the timing has to be, let's say, the biggest hurdle. Because too, if the guard gets too deep or close to the three-point line, like I think that becomes a dangerous kind of skip flare pass. It almost has to be occurring you know, as you're a, a dribble pass half court. So you have the angle and you can actually hit that guy versus... If you're on the three-point line, it's more of like a looping flare, if that makes sense. And yep. then the angle becomes too difficult. So maybe as I kind of talk through it, I think maybe that might be a, a little bit more nuanced of an action versus stand here, not here. Let me just throw another action in there that we also did a lot on this year and where that might sit in all of this too, kind of as we're talking about transition and spacing and flowing of the offense. And that's, I guess, what can be termed wide action or that wide pin away screen in transition you know we did a um a whole series with ryan panone and alabama men's basketball and them starting with that wide action that player you know the big is now screening for let's say someone in that high slot or away area and they're either curling back cutting they can rescreen, and then you're flowing right into your offense from there if i were to add i guess that action to all this you know, where does that sit for you there? Because it's kind of similar in attacking space and transition. Yeah, I do just really like Marquette and Manresa, actually. So it'd still be a sit, but I love, Yeah, I mean, hearing Pannon talk about it, just like the value of just sending a hard rim cut to initiate the offense and making the defense, are they going to honor it every time? And, you know, I think the conversation we had with him wasn't so much about where are you setting it? When are you setting it? Of course, it was like understanding is if it's a non-shooter, it's better to set the rib screen because they're just going to go under. But the emphasis being placed on like whatever it is, if it's the rib screen or it's just the wide pin, that guy has to cut hard. And he's got to cut hard to the rim because as Coach Pannone 
kept referring to it's going to be open three times a game and it's going to be open three times a game when they don't even throw it, you know, or they completely miss it. And that's what I really appreciated about when we got into his five out offense. And it's something where, you know, at the time of this recording will come out before the end of the year, we looked at two with Oklahoma City and they were in some really good elbow action, you know, thrown to the elbow and they do the stagger away. And that guy out of the corner, like his job was just to cut to the rim, whether it was a back door or a tight curl. But again, just it all goes back to making the defense guard the rim and kind of sink in to open up the next action, whatever it may be. I think then from there, not fighting pressure. And I think this is what, I mean, honestly, what all of these spacings are, just like don't fight pressure. We stand on the three-point line. It's easier for them to take you away. It's easier for them to be disruptive. Now we back up. Now you've put the decisions. Now it's harder to be disruptive. And if they attempt to, like, I think there's so much more space for clearer decisions. Yeah, backdoor that. Don't beg, you know, keep the offense fluid. And I think that was also a really good point Coach Pannone made when we were breaking down his five-out offense. Obviously, all this stuff is great and depending on your team and your style of coaching or what you believe in. I mean, these are all obviously excellent coaches running excellent stuff. And so it's fun to break down and kind of talk about, but felt like all these easily could be highlighted because they're really hard to guard. And obviously you see all these teams in their own right doing great stuff. Yeah. And I just want to finish because you brought up a great point with the spacing and moving away from not only east-west spacing, but getting north-south and how that just creates downhill drives. You know, I'll humor you a little bit, but I think too. Thanks. Well, no, yeah. Looking at DHOs too and getting DHOs more north-south. And, you know, I think east-west DHOs are just easier to go under. You know, you got to be a high-level shooter to come off and shoot that. So I think it's easier to go under. Now, of course, you can set up rescreens, but I think what Marquette did, and you alluded, sometimes they would just hit the big at the elbow, you know, maybe as a re-trigger or not even getting to the empty side screen, just hitting them at the elbow. And then now you have that slot guy coming like downhill into that DHO. That's something I also really appreciated with Marquette and how they ran their offense, their ability to play through that high slot DHOs getting downhill. We didn't do a breakdown, but Juventus Patalonia from the ACB, one of their sideline plays is more or less the same. Like they put one guard really high up at half court, try to hit the big at the elbow and then almost do like a split but from there with whoever, one guy at the rim, the other guy running downhill into a handoff. And it's just, you know, that nature, if you try to go under, it's just so much easier, I think, to beat the, cor- you know, win the corner or beat the under. And of course, if they have to chase and now you're going full speed down a lot of big. Yeah. And you got to be careful bringing up a DHO around here, trying to be good here. <laughs> I agree with you. And I think that maybe something, I think the more teams we watch or talk to, unless it's a below the free throw line, say empty side pick and roll where that's going to be kind of more east-west close because it's just so hard to go under that low. I think you see everything else trying to be more north-south when you say get to the wing up, trying to flatten the pick and roll angle, trying to bring that offensive player higher in the slot so it can be a flat screen or a reverse screen because it's just harder for the pick and roll defense to know. I mean, we talked about the defensive side earlier. Which side do you hedge? Which side do you drop? Whatever it is because it's more north-south. And the same thing, I think, with dribble handoffs. If you can look at each dribble handoff and go, how can this be a little more north-south rather than east-west? Of course, east-west can still work. Like I said, those are ones lower on the court where the higher you are, make that more north-south because it's just impossible. I mean, there really is no under-over. It's just which side 
are you cutting off of based off where the defense is? So great point by you. So, hey, I think that was a lot of fun. I prefer to ask the questions than be asked upon. <laughs> yeah. Less stressful. Um, <laughs> but it was fun to kind of go back through these six, seven things here. I mean, obviously, there's a ton more this year that we got into and enjoyed researching and talking to coaches about. And I think just to add, you know, on Slapping Glass TV was also fun to do some really cool breakdowns with Joe Gallo from Merrimax. We did a ton on zones this year. And those were some of our favorite ones as well, getting into all the different zone stuff. I thought you might go that route with me on the defensive side. I have it written down here because honestly, our two probably most viewed breakdowns and we will be kind of going through all of them in the newsletter coming up. But it was Joe Gallo's zone defense and then our 3-2 monster zone defense breakdown. I wanted to kind of buck the trend, go against the grain here. And, yeah, it's written down right here. I mean, last night I was as prepping for this because I knew you were going to ask me about the defensive side. I was rewatching those and really great breakdowns. Fun to do it with Coach Gallo. Obviously, one of the best to teach it. And he just lays it all out on how to run that zone. I mean, doesn't hold back yeah. anything. So, you know, between like Coach Gallo, Coach Pannon, you know, our new partnership with the Pro Lane, Coach Gonzalo Rodriguez doing our mentorship stuff. It's been really fun outside of the things that we do. Other coaches that have come in and, and shared their thoughts and their time. Yeah. Obviously, always super valuable. Tobin Anderson did a crunch time with us in FDU's win over Purdue last year. So those are things that are obviously fun for us, and we appreciate them sharing their knowledge and adding it to the platform. Yeah. It's obviously fun when we doing our own breakdowns and watching film, but any chance we get to collaborate with these coaches that are willing to share and come on and give their own perspectives and ideas, we really enjoy. And it's something, you know, we have a couple in the pipeline too, moving into next year that we're excited to get into and yeah, moving forward. Absolutely. And so we appreciate everyone from the podcast newsletter, you know, whatever it is that you get to some of the stuff we appreciate you looking at it we've got a lot of fun and interesting things planned for 2024 and so uh, we hope you stay tuned and best luck to all you wherever you're at in your seasons we'll see you in 2024 thank you so much for listening to this episode please make sure to visit slappingglass.com for more information on the free newsletter slapping glass plus and much more Have a great week coaching, and we'll see you next time on Slapping Glass. Would we have a name yet for this thing? I have like slapping backboard. (laughs) Slapping glass. (laughs) Slapping glass. That's kind of funny. I like that. Let's roll. (laughs) Slapping glass.